Let's take our Bibles this morning and be turning to the Old Testament book of Numbers. And we're going to begin in Numbers chapter 13 in just a moment and read a very, very revealing and also very encouraging passage in Scripture that I think has always has relevance in our life, but especially I find it to be pertinent for today. We're glad you're tuning in today and appreciate you being a part of these online Bible studies. Once again, I would encourage you to uh, share these uh, messages and uh, these opportunities to learn and grow and worship together with friends and family. And we're encouraged by the number of people, not only in our congregation that are participating, but also many others that are participating. And we want to uh, encourage each other in our spiritual growth, our spiritual journey. And so let's look together in Numbers chapter 13, and I want to begin reading in verse 25, where the Bible says, And they returned from searching of the land after 40 days. Now, just to kind of refresh our memory when it talks about them returning, it's talking about a group of people, uh, one actually from each uh, the tribes of Israel, 12 people, who went into the land of Canaan uh, to spy out the land, to search out the land. And they were sent with God's direction and Moses' uh, leadership. And the purpose was not to determine if they were going to go into the land of Canaan, but the purpose was for them to just have a good idea of what they were going to face in the land of Canaan. Now, you will remember that these people had been in Egypt for many, many years, and now uh, they're going to go in and occupy the land that God has given to them. So, verse 25, they returned from searching of the land after 40 days, and they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, these 12 uh, delegated spies, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, to Kadesh, and brought back word unto them, and unto all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. They showed them the actual fruit of the land. It was a land that was uh, blessed and prospering as far as um, natural resources were concerned. Verse 27, And they told them, and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, and just that word itself lets us know that there's a tone, a shift in their uh, opinion about the land. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, they're fortified secure and very great and moreover we saw the children of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan and Jericho or excuse me and Caleb stilled the people before Moses Caleb was one of those 12. Caleb stilled the people and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him, his companions, said, 
We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. The people are stronger than we are. I have written in the margin of my Bible, not stronger than he. The people may be stronger than them, but not stronger than God. Of course, they were leaving God out of the equation. Verse 32, it says, and they brought up an evil report. That's a phrase uh, that's very profound. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying, the land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we in their sight. And verse 1 of chapter 14 says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. So the people of God, the nation of Israel, they were in a critical stage in their history. Uh, they knew what God wanted them to do. They knew this land had been promised to them. Yet they were hearing this group of leaders who were discouraging them from going forward. The land was desirable. The land was plenteous. The resources were abundant. And yet they're feeling inadequate for the task. In reality, their faith in God was less than their fear of man. Now, as we look at the current challenges that are before us, we want to look at this passage and think about our own life. It's always been a relevant passage. It's always been, a, to me, a very encouraging passage. But especially today, we want to get God's perspective, God's opinion on what not only we're going through. There's a lot of emphasis today during this uh, worldwide crisis. There's a lot of emphasis on the circumstances, a lot of emphasis on what's going to happen, when's it going to happen, how's it going to get worse, when will it improve, all these kinds of things. But our emphasis as God's children should also be on what, what should our response to this be. We want to find perspective from God's word. And these people were determined that they could not function in the place that God wanted them to be. And we've often heard this statement is true. If you think you can't, you're probably right. Uh, these people were greatly underestimating their own potential with God's help. And as a result, they were controlled by fear. Uh, their unbelief not only limited their progress, but their unbelief also hindered the progress of others. So let's look into this passage today and see uh, what we can find for our own lives and how we might benefit from God's word. And let's pray as we do. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity today to study your word together. And today we pray for the spirit of God to be our teacher, the word of God to encourage us, to strengthen us. And we pray, Father, that we could manage uh, our lives and our families and our responsibilities in a way that would be pleasing to you in a way that would be in accordance with your word we trust you for these things today in Jesus name Amen 
Fear can certainly immobilize us, even as God's people. It can have this hindering effect, hurts our spiritual progress, negatively affects those who are around us, who are listening to us. And I want to just begin by just trying to remind us uh, of where we are and how challenges are really not new for God's people. Just studying the Bible, for instance, Old Testament, New Testament, we find that in different places, different times, different ways, God's people have faced times of great difficulty. And I realize today that it's not just Christians, believers, who are facing great difficulties, but there's an aspect of it that we'll get to in a moment that makes it sort of unique, the things that we're going through as believers. Um, You know, prior to this event in Numbers uh, chapter 13, uh, the people of God, Israel, had been in Egypt for a period of 400 years. Now, it began with Joseph being sold as a slave there by his brothers and and with Joseph's uh, family coming to join them there. And it it was not a difficult time at that time. But eventually it got very difficult for them. In the latter years, if you were to read about this in the book of Exodus, it says they were made to serve with rigor. They were slaves and they were in bondage and so much so that they were crying out to God in their bondage. And so uh, these things, have, so what I'm saying is God's people have faced difficult times. And we read about in the book of Genesis where uh, during uh, the life of Abraham, during the life of Isaac, they had great national famine that they were challenged with. And as a matter of fact, it resulted not because they were directed to, but because of their own unbelief for Abraham and those, his family to flee uh, from the area during this time of famine. If you go to the New Testament and you read there, or even in the first century, if you read about the history, you read about the persecution of churches and Christians, beheadings, people being crucified, hunted like animals. Fast forward from there and you go to the period of the Middle Ages or the Dark Ages when history tells us that literally millions were martyred. And today, people in many places of the world who, who are people of faith are facing great persecutions. Now, having said that, most of us would agree that Christians, believers in America, have it easy. Here in America, we have the First Amendment to the Constitution that protects our right of worship. Now, we understand that those rights could be infringed upon and maybe um, in in a very real way in time to come and maybe even in some ways now. But the point is, we know very little. Let's just be honest and say We know very little personally about persecutions, but we are dealing with challenges. We're dealing with challenges related to this present pandemic, and these challenges are real for every person. Health challenges, those who are in the healthcare industry, their services require them to be around people who are carriers of this virus. And you have first responders, And then you have just the sicknesses in families, people that we know, uh, not in our church, but in other communities where 
they're facing sicknesses in their families. And then you have the financial challenges, the emotional struggles, people who are, are losing their jobs or they're finding their hours are cut back. And these things are serious. I mean, um, to me, not going to a restaurant is not a big inconvenience. Um, but the fact that restaurants are closed is a big inconvenience, more than inconvenience to people who work there. And then activities and our routine schedules have changed. As many people would know, we have a, 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 had a wedding a schedule for this week, which uh, has taken place. But it wasn't taking place in the way it was planned. It was a big planned wedding inside our church. Many, many people, scores of people had already uh, made their plans to come and promised they were going to be here. And, and now we... That's all changed for our family. Um, so things, these are, these are great uh, challenges to people in their personal lives, people who are graduating from high school or college this year, even people who've lost loved ones and the funerals, how they're conducted. And, and we had a big conference planned here uh, and had uh, scores of people already registered that was supposed to happen this month. All these kinds of things, uh, people's education, their routine has been changed challenge doing online homeschooling things of this nature so these these are challenges that all of us are dealing with and we can't change our circumstances but i want to say before i really dig into the text here and i've mentioned this before but i feel like i should say it again these are unique challenges for people of faith these are unique challenges for god's people and for some who never attend church or rarely attend church or don't think church is important, this is not even a, a bump in the road for them. But our ability to assemble has been hindered, has been stopped, basically. Churches, I talked about this on the first Sunday night that we went online, churches by definition are assemblies. And though we can as we are today. We can study in our homes. We can worship in our homes with our families. The church, by definition, an assembly is designed and instructed to assemble. We assemble, we meet together because God ordered it, because God instructed it, because God encourages it. We meet together to worship. We can worship at home. But you can't have church just in, the, in a fishing boat somewhere or along the creek bank or wherever. The church is, a, is to assemble. We meet together to corporately worship God. We can worship any place, but it's not the same as worshiping in the church. It doesn't, it does, those two things are important. Both of them are valid, but they're not the same. We meet together to fellowship. We're to, we're to exhort one another in fellowship. We meet together to teach, to exhort, to preach the word of God. We meet together to serve each other, to train uh, Christian workers. Much of what we do as churches, as our church, is being tested. And just think of one aspect of this. It, it's an important aspect. It has to do with the work of missions. Missionaries are called generally and trained particularly in churches. 
Missionaries are supported financially by churches that they visit. Missionaries now can't visit churches because churches are not assembling. Missionaries report to churches that they partner with. Missionaries would come by and see us and report about the work in other parts of the world. So this is all of these things are affected by the, our assembly or our inability to assemble. And now that's where we are. So we've, all of us face challenges, and these are unusual challenges to say the least. And I would like to submit to you today that these are, are faith challenges. And in a general sense, many of our problems are faith problems. Uh, this passage before us in Numbers that we're looking at illustrates the importance of faith or the, the consequences of lack of faith. The decision to give in to fear on the part of these people was a direct result of unbelief. It wasn't a biblical response. It wasn't a wise response. It was a carnal response. But all of us face these temptations to doubt and to fear. Faith, or the lack of it, affects our lives. Not just during this crisis, but almost every day in many ways. And so one of the things we're being bombarded with today is, is messaging, messaging, the messages and messaging that creates or sustains this fear and this panic. So our faith is going to be tested. Now let's give our attention here to Numbers chapter 13 and just review the, as we said earlier, the, the Lord sent spies to survey the land. They came back with a good report initially. The land was fruitful. But they were, you know, intimidated. They were fearful concerning the obstacles. In verses 28 and 29, we read that about, we saw the children of Anak there. And their general assessment is found in verse 31. We'll look at that together again. But the people that went up with them said, We be not able to go up. We be not able. We can't. We can't do this. Verse 31 also says, they are stronger than we. They're stronger than us. These people are stronger than us. It sounded like a good plan. We, we, we went in with the open minds, but we just, we, we know this cannot happen. Now, this was a major event in Jewish history, but it resembles the kind of challenges we face in our own lives. And the question is not how how difficult the challenge is. The question really is, how will we respond to these difficulties, to these challenges, to these seeming impossibilities? Have you ever noticed that the factors that often hinder us are not external obstacles, but they're sort of self-imposed limitations that are in our minds and in our hearts? I mean, in reality, think about this today. What is it that God cannot do? I mean, what is it that God cannot do? And what should really be the basis of measuring our potential? Is it 
what we see, what we think, what we feel, or is it really what God says? And the biggest challenge in this case that was faced by God's people was not the size of the enemy. It was the size of the enemy in their view, in their sight. And the negative way they viewed themselves with God helping them. And so we need to win the war with doubt and unbelief. And it's not a new war. Jesus promised the disciples that through faith they could cast mountains into the sea. Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and he found the disciples trying to help and heal a demonized boy, and the disciples asked him, why could not we do this? Because Jesus helped this, this boy and his family. And Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. It's because you didn't, you're not trusting me. Another time it says of Jesus concerning his ministry in his hometown in Nazareth, he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Not because the, the needs were too great, not because people's hurts were too deep, not because the devil was more powerful, no, because of their unbelief. The greatest enemies are not the obstacles themselves, but it's our attitude about them. So one of the things I want us to really focus on today in this passage is the consequences of unbelief. What does unbelief do? What are the consequences? And the first one I want to mention is that unbelief limits our potential. Unbelief limits our potential. I mean, their decision not to move forward was very costly. If you read the next chapter, and we're not going to turn to that at this moment, but in chapter 14, it tells us it cost them 40 years of their life wandering around in the wilderness outside of God's will. There are consequences of unbelief. When we refuse to do something, when we fear to move forward, when we let doubt win the war in our minds and in our hearts, it robs us of the joy and the victory that God has promised us. So the first thing is unbelief limits our potential. Here's another thing, though. If you look in verse 32 of our text, Numbers 13 and verse 32, we see that unbelief not only limits our potential, but it exaggerates the problem. Notice the, notice the evil report. It caused it that in verse 32. They brought up an evil report. And let's just look at a few components of that report. It says a little further in verse 32 that it's a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Now that's an exaggeration at best. I mean, the inhabitants weren't eaten up by the land because they saw the inhabitants. They saw the people. But that, in their mind, they are exaggerating the problem. And notice what it says in verse 32. It says, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Now again, that's an exaggeration. All the people. Now some of the people were giants. Some of the people were, in some of the cities, were intimidating. But they said all the people are that way. That just could not possibly be true. We know that's not true. But the last thing I want to notice here in verse 33, 
It says we saw the giants which come of the giants and notice this. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers. Now, uh, they don't have as many grasshoppers here in Missouri as we had in Texas growing up. But uh, a grasshopper is a grasshopper. And a grasshopper uh, is enough, sizable enough you can see it, you can catch it. Uh, you can put it on a hook and try to catch a fish with it. But imagine comparing a person to a giant like comparing a grasshopper to a person. Now, we don't know exactly how tall these giants were. We do know how, basically how tall Goliath was. We know how some of those people were about nine foot tall, and that's a big man. But a nine foot tall man next to a six foot tall man or a five foot tall man is, he towers over that person. But wouldn't you say it's an exaggeration to say it's like a grasshopper to a man? The unbelief exaggerates the problem. It makes the problem seem bigger than it really is. One last thing, I, I said that would be the last thing, but the final thing in verse 33 I want to notice is, let's read it again. We were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so were we, and so we were in their sight. In our minds, we saw ourselves up against them like grasshoppers. But not only is that what we saw, he says in verse 33, so we were in their sight. That's how they saw us. Now, so again, how do you know? I would say this to these doubters. How do you know how you looked to those giants? But see, they thought they knew how the giants were thinking. Uh, how could they possibly know how the enemy saw them? So these people are believing falsely about themselves and about their potential, but they're also believing falsely about their enemy. You know what the reality is? We find this later in the scripture, that their enemies regularly feared them. When they finally faced these enemies in Jericho, they, they found by the, from the residents of Jericho that the, the people of Jericho's hearts melted for fear of these people. And yet, here these people are saying, when they look at us, they know that they have, that we have no might or power against them. Now, let's bring this down to where we live. Most of us have experienced this. I've experienced this. Perhaps you have. When you were afraid of something, some challenge, some circumstance, only to find out later that it wasn't nearly as bad as you thought it would be. The point being, the consequence of unbelief is it limits our potential. But second of all, it exaggerates the problem. But here's the third consequence that we've referred to, but I just want to focus on it again for a moment. And that is that it negatively affects other people. This, what the Bible calls in verse 32, this evil report had an effect. It didn't just have an effect on those spies, those 12 spies or the 10 that were doubters. It didn't just have an effect on a handful of people. It affected many of the people. Look in, we read this a moment ago in chapter 14 and verse 1. It says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. 
And all the children of Israel, in verse 2, murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation, notice this now, the whole congregation said unto them, unto their leaders, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in the wilderness? And it goes on, and, and they begin to talk about going back to Egypt. They begin to talk about, you know, they, it was kind of a mutiny, really, in and uh, verse 4 it says, And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return unto Egypt. They're, run, they're about to run for their lives. Why? Because of an evil report that they heard. You know, we need to be careful of what we hear. And I'm going to deal with this, Lord willing, in the service tonight, in a, just in a very practical way, is we need to be careful where we're getting our information. And so negatively... Negativity, excuse me, generally produces more negativity. When a person is negative, when they're believing negative, when they're talking negative, very often it affects others. Now this whole idea about going into uh, Canaan was God's idea to occupy the land. It began with God. And Moses and Aaron were uh, optimistic and they sent in these 12 tribes as God instructed them. And two of those, Caleb and Joshua, were very optimistic. Ten of them were not. Uh, and so the people, who were the people greatly influenced by? They weren't in, being influenced by God. They weren't being influenced by truth. They weren't being influenced by their leaders. They were being influenced by the unbelief of others. We're talking about the consequences of unbelief. It negatively affects others. And it leads, here's a fourth consequence, it really leads to rebellion and disobedience toward God. In chapter 14, if you'd look there with me for a moment, in Numbers 14 and verse 9, uh, it says, and this is the report from Joshua and Caleb, the, the believers, the people who had faith, it says in verse 9, Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. Two words there he mentions, rebellion and fear. For they are bread for us. We can handle this. They're bread for us. We'll eat their lunch. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Now notice in, early in verse 9 the word rebel. Rebel. You know what unbelief led to? It led to rebellion. It, it wasn't just fear in their heart. It was fear that caused them to act in a way that would be disobedient to God. You know, a lack of faith in any of our lives can sort of masquerade as, a, as an excusable alternative, if I could use that phrase, to something God wants us to do. But in reality, it's a refusal to obey God. And it's not an acceptable alternative. Unbelief. Unbelief results in rebellion. If unbelief causes... Let's just imagine, just to use a very common illustration, imagine a person understands that God wants them uh, to be, as a child of God, as a Christian, God wants them to be a witness, God wants them to share their faith, and they understand that's God's will, and yet their uh, timidity, their uh, being fearful, causes them not to witness. 
And a person could say, well, you know, God understands uh, because I'm not an outgoing, gregarious kind of personality. I'm, um, I'm more uh, shy. And so therefore, I have a pass on not witnessing. No, your, your fear, our fear leads to rebellion. It causes us, leads us to, to disobey God. That's what makes unbelief such a serious matter. God wants us to trust him. And eventually, we're talking about the consequences of unbelief. Eventually, it brought God's judgment. It brought God's judgment. And that, that if you're looking at chapter uh, 14 with me there, where I was just reading, look in verse 11. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? God says to Moses, these people are provoking me. They're doubting me. They're fearing the enemy more than they're fearing me. And they're, they're wanting to go back to Egypt. How long should the people provoke me? And how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I've showed unto them? So God, God was being provoked. You know, unbelief, when I, don't doubt, when I doubt rather than believe, when I don't trust God like I should, and I find myself many times in my life, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, where I'm, you know, wondering and worrying about certain things that are going on in our world, our unbelief is an affront to the character and the trustworthiness of God. Unbelief, I mean refusing to trust God, displeases the Lord. And it's not just, it's not simply a faulty view of our potential but is an inaccurate estimation of God's potential and so there are consequences of it and what are they let me just quickly review it limits our potential it exaggerates the problem it negatively affects other people it leads to rebellion and it brings God's judgment now let's look at the other um, the other opinion in verse 30 of chapter 13 where we began. And we'll just spend a moment on this. Moses, uh, Caleb still the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Now there's not unbelief, but there's confidence. A confession of faith. We are well able to overcome it. You know, I don't know what the future holds over the next few weeks or months. I don't even know what tomorrow may bring. You know, the Bible warns us, cautions us, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So we don't know what the future holds, but we know this. We know that God can be trusted, and we know God is able. Caleb said, let us go up at once. Let's not procrastinate. Let's not put this off. Faith, faith does not postpone doing the right thing. Faith does not look for excuses. Faith believes that God's will can be accomplished. And by the way, these people as a whole took the road of unbelief, spent 40 years in the wilderness, all the older generation passed away. 40 years later, they came to go back into this same land. And by the way, 40 years later, the same obstacles existed that they faced here today. See, procrastination and worrying and doubt 
don't make the opposition disappear. So putting it off is not usually the right solution. Faith sees the possibilities while unbelief sees the problems. And faith looks to God. I read this a moment ago uh, with confidence. Let's read verses 8 and 9. If the, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Faith looks to God. I don't know how we're going to work through all this, but you know what? God will have a way. God has a plan. Faith looks to God. The Lord delight in us. He will bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. And we read this a couple of times earlier. Only rebellion not against the Lord, neither fear the people of the land. For their bread for us, for the defense is departed from them. And notice this phrase, and the Lord is with us. Faith relies on God. Faith relies on God's presence. God is with us. We're not alone. We're not facing these battles by ourselves. God is our, our captain. God is our shepherd. God is our comforter. God is our wisdom. The life of faith is possible for all of us. It begins with salvation. Salvation alone is an um, experience that is tied to our faith. You know, I, I've never seen Jesus Christ. I've, I've been to Israel, but I haven't seen the cross where he died. I didn't see the blood that was shed. I, I didn't see as the, the empty tomb, although there they, you go to a place that uh, they believe is the place that he may have been uh, entombed. But, but I got saved many years ago. But even if I'd been to Israel before I got saved, you don't get saved because of what you see. You get saved by faith. And faith, faith is believing what God says. We, we're saved by recognizing that God says we're sinners. God says that all of us have broken his law. That God says that all of us are guilty before him. And we look into his word. We see the commandments. We know we're guilty. And we know there's no way that we can fix that situation. There's no works that we can perform. Religion can't fix what's wrong with us. We need forgiveness and we need a relationship with God. Faith recognizes that God is true, that God's word is true, and that we have sinned against God. But, but faith also recognizes that God has one remedy for us, and that is the sacrifice of his son who came to this earth to live a perfect life, to be the lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, to shed his own blood as a sacrifice for our sins that we can be forgiven. And one day by faith, <coughs> pardon me, by faith I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I ask him to come into my life. I ask him to forgive me. We're saved by faith. The life of faith begins when we trust Christ, but it continues throughout life with discovering what God says about us, what God says about our circumstances. Sometimes people think, well, I can never, God's put too much on me, I can't go through this. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is no temptation taken you, but such is as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, 
Faith takes God at his word. With God, all things are possible. Romans 8, 28 is still in the Bible. For we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. God is going to work things out for our good. We know that by faith. See, these people believed the opinion, the negative opinion, the majority opinion of the people, but really God's opinion, God's opinion, which is the truth, should be the majority opinion in our lives. Faith makes God's promises become a reality in our life. As I said, we're saved by faith. We're to walk by faith. We obey God's word by faith. We witness by faith. We give by faith. We serve by faith. We forgive others by faith. We start over when we fall by faith. We walk in the spirit by faith. And as we think about the challenges of our day, let's be careful that we don't believe all the negative reports in our mind or in the media or in other venues that cause us to doubt God. This is worth repeating. We've said it over the last couple of weeks. Let's allow this season of our lives to be a faith-building season in our life, to increase our faith in God, in God's plan, and in God's Word. Let's trust God for that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your Word. We thank you for examples in the Bible that really happen, that personalize truth for our lives. We thank you that as we read this passage, we can relate to what it is to have two different opinions. One of those opinions may be the minority opinion, but it agrees with you. That other opinion, the negative opinion, very often is the majority opinion, and it would lead us to disobey you. And Father, I pray today for myself and our family, for our church family, for others who are listening to these uh, online services. God, I pray that we could use this time in our life to draw closer to you, to examine our own faith walk, to be challenged to grow, not just in the power of positive thinking, but in confidence based on your eternal word and that all of that, Lord, would be for your honor and your glory. We pray for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.